Well, the title of my message today is called You Have the Naming Rights. You Have the Naming Rights. Hope that you picked up the message fill-in sheet uh, as you came in. Follow along. Take these thoughts home with you today. Now, naming rights. What are naming rights? Well, it's the right to give a name to something. Uh, the arena that the Toronto Maple Leafs play in for the first number of years was called the Air Canada Centre. But two years ago, Scotiabank purchased the naming rights of the arena and changed the name to the Scotiabank Arena. And so now it's called the Scotiabank Arena. Now, what did it cost Scotiabank to have the naming rights of the arena for the next well, it's 18 years remaining, but it's when they purchased it, it was 20 years. $800 million Scotiabank gave for the naming rights of that arena. Incredible. So that when people refer to where the Leafs play, well, Scotiabank Arena. And when it's on broadcast, Scotia, we're here at Scotiabank Arena. And when newscast, last night at Scotiabank Arena, the Maple Leafs, one, um, we'll say one, uh, $110,000 a day if you divide it out. $110,000 a day for the naming rights of that arena. So naming rights are very, very valuable. Now I want you to know that God gave Adam the naming rights to the animals. It says in Genesis 2.19, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So God said to Adam, you have the naming rights. Now you think, well that's, not that significant. Why would it even be mentioned in the scripture? I mean, for Adam, just say, well, that's a dog, that's a, that's a cat, that's a horse. Um, but there's something deeper to this. This is a valuable commodity that God gave Adam. Because, here's your first point in your fill-in. The naming rights gave Adam dominion over the animals gave dominion over the animals. Because Adam was not just to offhandedly give a name, but he was to look at an animal. He was to assess an animal. He was to get to know the animal. He was to realize what its abilities were. And to give a purpose and a function to the animal. To name it. To label it. And so we don't just call a dog a dog, but we have actually exercised that right, and we have sled dogs, and we have guard dogs, and we have seeing eye dogs. We have taken an animal and seen what its purpose and function can be, and we have, in a sense, shaped it by naming it and taking dominion over it. Horses are not just horses, but we have riding horses, 
We have show horses. We have farm work horses. All of these things are an aspect of the naming rights gives a sense of what the purpose of this thing is and how it will be used and how it will, be, how it will function. So the takeaway note I put in your notes, a name gives identity and destiny. It gives identity and destiny. Now, God ultimately has lordship and authority, and your point is this. God exercised his lordship and dominion by giving names. God gives names to things. In fact, the most powerful name that has ever been given is the name of Jesus. And it says in Matthew 121, and she will bring forth a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means Jehovah has become my savior. So God identified this baby, this son of God, God manifest in the flesh, and specified the identity and the destiny of this child. Every time Jesus heard his name uttered, Jesus, Jesus, immediately thought, I am the savior of the world. I have come to save my people from their sins. So there was a sense, even in the naming of Jesus, that held him secure as he went through life. And now we know that there's no name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved, but the name of Jesus. We need to realize the name of Jesus is powerful. And when you utter the name of Jesus, there's a power in it. It all comes back to God's right to name and label and identify and present a destiny. God renamed people after a divine encounter. Names are so important that God renames people. And we see in the scripture that God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of multitudes. And so he added an H to the name. It was a ha to the name. And biblical scholars believe that this is symbolic, that God added a part of himself. He projected his name into Abraham. He projected his destiny and his ability into Abram uh, and said, you're no longer Abram, you're Abraham. Same with Sarai, his wife, said you're no longer Sarai, but added the H, you're Sarah. And so again, after an encounter with God, God changes the name because you see it's only as we meet God and know God will you know your true identity and you'll know your true destiny. And so there's a name change that happens here. God's, here's your take home point. God saw Abram as he was, but he gave him a name that envisioned his future. He saw he was Abram, but he said you're more than Abram. When I put my ha and I breathe upon you, I'm going to give you an ability and a destiny beyond what you can do yourself. The same happened with Abraham's grandson, who was called Jacob. 
Jacob means schemer, conniver, supplanter. And he changes the name of Jacob to Israel, which means having power with God. It happened in a wrestling match. That is, Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And finally, the Lord touches him, touches him on the thigh, and breaks the hold. But, Ab but Jacob had said, I, I won't let you go till you bless me. And so what did God do? He blessed him with a new name, with a new power. You're not going to be just your own effort, just your own idea, how you're going to cope, how you're going to get ahead in life. It's not going to just be yourself. I'm going to put my life in you. I'm going to breathe upon you. You're going to be Israel. You're going to have power with God. So in each case of the changing of a name, the new name was instrumental in fulfilling their destiny. Now, the, the last one that uh, I want to mention is Simon. As Simon came as a potential disciple, Jesus changes Simon's name. Now, <clears throat> you'll see this in John 1.42. And he brought, to him, brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, or Peter. The Greek for Cephas is Peter, which is translated a stone or a rock. And so again, the Lord changes Simon's name to Peter. Simon means listener, one who, who is affected and hears. And that can be a good thing, but it can be a bad thing in the sense that Peter facilitated I mean, he was walking on the water, but then he saw the waves and it begins to sink. Uh, every idea that came to his mind, he seemed to utter it. And, uh, and God wanted someone that was solid, that would be, he could give the keys of the kingdom to. And so he says, you're Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter, because you're going to be strong. You're going to be solid. I can depend on you. You're going to be a foundation stone of the church. It talks about that the apostles are the foundation stone. And so Peter was transformed, but the name was given before it came into being. And Peter had to go through quite a failure and denial of the Lord until he was restored. And Jesus said, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. You can strengthen them because I'm making you strong. You're going to be a rock. You're going to stand for something. And Peter did. He fulfilled that name, Peter. But I want you to see that God named him and changed his name. Do you remember when your name was changed? Really, if you were water baptized, one aspect of it was in the waters of baptism. When you buried your old life, when you buried your old identity that was sinful, and you buried it and you, wrote, and you were buried in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you took on his identity, his death became your death. His life became your life. You came out of the waters to live a new life in the Lord. In that moment, your identity changed. You are no longer just yourself, but you're, you're in Christ, and Christ is in you. It's like he breathes on you in that moment, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you have a new identity. You have a new name. Now, even interestingly, the Bible says that when we move into eternity, that he's going to give us a new name. In other words, there's going to be a new identity, there's going to be a new purpose, there's going to be a new function for each one of us when we move into eternity because he's going to give us a new name. I want you to see 
the value of the naming rights and how God used it to transform and shape people after his will and after his purposes. Now, your next point is this. God has given us the naming rights to our world. When he put Adam in the, in the garden, he says, now you can name this world. You can name the animals here. And so Adam took dominion. He, he named the animals. And so be careful how you name things. It says in Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You need your tongue to name and label things according to God's purpose, not Satan's purpose, but according to God's purpose, not natural inclination, but God's purposes. And you need to name your world, name yourself, name the people that's around you, name the circumstances you go through with God's plan and purpose in mind, identifying it and saying, I want God's destiny, just as, I, as we saw in Melody. I think there's a destiny there. Even in that verse coming to uh, Mary, God was identifying saying, saying, call her name Melody. And I believe she's going to make beautiful compositions to the, to the Lord through the things she goes through and the people. See, see uh, there's something in this. This is not by chance. But there's something of how you name things. He's given you the right to name your world. And you need to do it as unto the Lord. You know, we say when we meet someone, well, what's your name? Or we'll see someone we'll say, what's his name? We want to know how to identify them. We sort of want to put them in some kind of category. We want to know. We so, and sometimes we say, what are they like? We want to sort of label them and talk about them. All of this is the naming rights to your world. What we name our world will determine our world. Because what you call something is how you will perceive it, what you'll think about it going into the future. There's a destiny that goes with a name, and you want to be sure you're calling things according to what God calls them. You want to make sure you name things with the H in it, with the H in it. You need to add that. Every time you label something and you call something, you need to be conscious. How do I put the H into this? How do I put God's name? How do I put God's identity onto this situation? And you do it by naming. Now, here's your next point. A name or label creates a perception. The perception then shapes the reality. Because when you name something and you give it an identity, now you have established a perception. Every time that person thinks about that person, you've, you put a name on it, you put a label on it. And because you've created a perception, the perception becomes your reality. It may not be the true reality, but because you've called it that, you have put a reality around yourself, around other people, or around situations that you go through. And so it's something that we need to be 
very careful because names have significance. Now, when I was thinking about this, I thought about uh, the famous quote from Shakespeare. Juliet says it in the play Romeo and Juliet. Uh, and she says this, Would a rose by another name smell less sweet? Would a rose by another name smell less sweet? Now, if you read it in the context of the play, she has fallen in love with Romeo, who is a Montague, and she's a Capulet. And these two families, the Montagues and the Capulets, are warring, they're enemies, they can't be together, and, but they've fallen in love, and it's causing all kinds of problems. And in her musing, she says, would a rose by any other name smell as sweet? In other words, she's saying, in the context of the play, if Romeo had another name than Montague, he wouldn't be any different than he is. But the name is separating us. He's a Montague. I'm a Capulet. And we want to be together. And we feel we're meant to be together. But the name is hindering us. And if he only had another name, it wouldn't change his character. It wouldn't change who he is. But the name is separating us. Now, there is a lot of truth in that. That names affect us. And it gives a perception that we need to be careful. I remember when I first uh, became uh, president of Anchor Ministerial. And we went up to South River to do an ordination. Uh, and when we went up there, we visited this church, and it was called Gravel Pit Mission. Gravel Pit Mission. A man had come through and had started a church, and uh, they didn't have much money, and they purchased this property, and it was an old gravel pit, and we visited there, and it's sort of a gravel pit into the side of a mountain, and so it was sort of caved out. And they built the church on the gravel pit that was going into the mountain, and for whatever reason, they called it Gravel Pit Mission. Well, the pastor had said to me many times, I don't like our name, don't like our name. And then a number of years ago, they actually uh, bought another property and they moved and they called the church, renamed the church, Higher Heights. Higher Heights Church. They went from gravel pit to higher heights. And I remember the pastor telling me, it's funny. It's just a name change, but the perception's different. We're no longer in a gravel pit. And the church went ahead and it's prospered and done well. And it's a delight to, uh, to visit them now in their new building. And it's higher heights. What's in a name? Well, I'd say, well, not much. But yes, it does because that's a perception. And it's important that we have the right perception of what God has for us. So here's your next point. Be careful what you name things. Be careful what you name things. Now, there's an occasion in the scripture in 1 Samuel where Eli was the head priest and the Philistines were at war with Israel. They went to battle and in the battle, the Philistines won and the Ark of the Covenant was taken and they lost this battle. Now, Eli had two sons. One was Phineas and another son, and they had wives. And at the news that Israel had lost the battle, Eli, who was old, 
He was sitting on this stone. It so affected him, he fell off the stone, fell down, broke his neck. So the spiritual leader of the nation died, and they lost the war, and or at least lost the battle, and the ark had been taken, and Phineas, this is the son of Eli, his wife gave birth to a baby. And so we pick up the story here in 1 Samuel 4.21. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. And so she had to name the child she gave birth to. And unfortunately, she called him Ichabod. And Ichabod means the glory of God has departed. Now, because of this negative, painful experience she was going through, she labeled her child Ichabod. Unfortunately, she saddled this child with the name God's glory has gone and has departed. She named the baby after the, what the enemies of God's people had done. The enemies of God's people had taken the ark. And she named the baby after what Satan had accomplished through that battle. Rather than saying, hey, maybe she could have named the baby, the glory of the Lord will return. She could have put an H, as it were, in the name. She could have brought to the sense of the name, yes, we've gone through a hard time. Yes, we've gone through a defeat. But I'm not going to name this baby after the defeat. I'm going to name the, the baby after my hope and aspiration of what God has planned through this. And if she had only have known and could see into the future, we realize there, this triggered a lot of things. Samuel come into being. Samuel anointed eventually David to the kingship. And the nation grew and all the enemies of, of, uh, of Israel were defeated under David. And it was the broadest could be. She couldn't have envisioned, yes, this is a negative thing right now, but God is in this and God can use it. And I'm going to believe his glory is going to be seen in this, even though if I just look at the natural, I'd say the glory of the Lord's departed. Be careful what you name things. Don't let Satan inspire the name you give things. What Satan has done, don't name it after what he has done. You know, the Bible warns us in Revelation not to take the mark of the beast. The enemy wants to put his mark on us. He wants to put his mark on things that we go through. He wants us to take that name, the mark of the beast. Just refuse to go down that road. Say, no, I'm not taking that. I'm not letting Satan name this. I'm not going to let this negative thing we're going through right now name. No, I'm going to see God. I'm going to name by faith. I'm going to believe what God's going to do, what his plan, what his destiny is in, in all these things. So don't, don't, let, don't let the name that's been put upon you uh, affect you. You know, you could be called weak. Your parents might have called you a loser. You can't do anything. You'll never amount to anything. 
There's been so many things that parents unwittingly have put on children or schoolmates or teachers or other people might have labeled you with something. Just shake off that Ichabod. Just, I'm not going by that name. What has God called me? What's my identity in Christ? And let that be what you name yourself. You need to, here's your next point, name, name things the way God does. How does God name things? Well, he names them according to his purpose, his function, what he sees the destiny, like an Abram to an Abraham, a Sarai to a Sarah, Jacob to an Israel, Simon to a Peter. You need to see, how does God envision this? Now listen uh, to what it says in Romans 4.17. I love this verse because it Paul's now writing about Abram's change of name. Now listen to what it says here in Romans 4.17, the Amplified Version. I have made you a father of many nations. Now that's Abraham. I've made you the father of many nations in the sight of him in whom he, he believed. That is, God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. He says, you're Abraham, the father of multitudes, and he's 99 years of age, and he doesn't have a child. And he says to Sarah, you're Sarah, you're going to be the mother of nations, and she's been barren, and they don't have any children. But God calls them that. He calls them something that he could quicken a dead womb. He can quicken by his power and his life in them. He quickens that which was dead and he gives it life. I like how it words it in the King James Version. It says, God calls those things which be not as though they were. God sees things and they're not there, but he calls them, he names them as if they were. Now, you need to name things the same way. You can look at a situation. You can look at yourself. You can look at someone else. You can look at circumstances you go through and say, this is what I see. And then Satan will whisper, and this is no good. Nothing's good going to come out of this. And he wants you to label. Label and name it. Because you say, I don't see anything. This is dead. There's nothing here. But you need to name things as God. Name things that are dead and he speaks life. Things that are not, he names them as if they are. And so you need to use faith as you name and label things. That's why Romans 8.28 really kicks in here. And we know that all things work together for good. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God is at work in negative things. Things that you think are not good at all. And they aren't good. If you just looked at the thing, it's not good. But he will work it for good because he puts his, he puts his name upon it. He puts his life into it. And something that has no potential within itself, in God has all kinds a potential. So, here's your next point. Be careful what you name yourself. How do you label yourself? 
How do you see yourself? Do you look at yourself right now and name yourself that? Sometimes I have. You're pathetic. You're weak. You're not strong. Sometimes we call ourselves sinners. But God calls us saints. Well, are we sinners? Yes. But God sees us not as sinners. He sees us as saints. He sees our life hid with Christ in God. He sees what he has done. He sees us through his eyes. He doesn't label things negatively. He labels things according to his purpose. He gives us a name to live up to. We are saints. We're children of God. And I love, I had a poster years ago. I had about 40 names that God calls us. And it was all positive things that God calls us. Because he sees us that way. He sees our identity that way. You need to name yourself after God, not after Satan. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He will accuse and he points to what you're doing and he says that's what you are. And so don't fall to that. Realize I'm more than what I see. Because God labels me and calls me even though I'm not there yet, I'm going to get there. I may not have any children now, but I'm going to be the father of nations. And Abraham turns out today, all the nations in the Middle East, so many nations, all go back to Abraham, whether it be Arab nations or the Jewish nation. Interestingly, when Daniel was taken captive into Babylon, Babylon after they had been conquered, when he was taken away into that foreign culture, they gave Daniel a new name, Belshazzar. But we don't think about Daniel as Belshazzar because he didn't link on to that name. <laughs> he was Daniel. It says in Daniel 1.8, he purposed in his heart he would not defile himself with the king's name. He said, I am a Hebrew. I serve the Hebrew God. He is the real God. He's the living God. I serve him. He stood strong. He went to the lion's den. He didn't allow a new name to be put upon himself. Doesn't matter what Babylon tried to call him. He was Daniel. And so we need to be the same way. It doesn't matter what the world puts on you and tries to call you according to your weakness or call you according to your experiences. You need to see yourself. I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you name yourself according to God. Don't allow Satan to name you. You need to change your name sometimes. It reminds me of, I met this couple years ago, and they were telling me their salvation experience, and it was a fantastic experience. But I knew the man as Louie. He introduced himself as Louie to me. Now, uh, Time went on, I, and I saw them later, and when I saw him again, he said to me, my name's really Bob. He said, Louie was just a nickname that I hit. And he said, I really felt, as a Christian, I need to go back to the name my parents gave me. And so he said, I go by Bob now. Now, that was years ago, and I, I, I just know him as Bob now. And there's nothing wrong with the, the name Louie, but to him, it represented his old life, his life of sin, his life away from God. And when he became a Christian, it was such a transformation. 
of becoming a Christian. In his case, he just said, I'm going to change my name. I'm going back to the original. Now, I don't know what that means for you, but I think there's something in that for all of us. Whatever Satan has labeled you, whatever identity you had from your past, you need to shake that off and say, I'm a new creature. I am a, I am a Christian. I buried my old life and I have been buried in Jesus' name. I have a new life in God. Here's your next point. Be careful what you name others. Just like how you name yourself, be careful how you name others. We know that God called this baby, his son, Jesus. But you know what the Pharisees called him? A wine-bibber. A glutton. It says in Luke 7, 34, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber. They labeled Jesus from what they saw. He drank with sinners. He ate with sinners. He... He consorted with people that they would have no, nothing to do with. And they knew the Bible. And Proverbs 23, 20 says, be not among wine-bibbers. And they said, he drinks, he's a wine-bibber. They made a judgment. They saw him with them, and they called him a wine-bibber. But was he a wine-bibber? No. Was he associating with sinners? Yes. Because he was Jesus. He had come to save them from their sins. He associated with them. He loved them. He accepted them. He was a friend of sinners. Was he a wine-bibber? No. Did they call him a wine-bibber? Yes. Now do you see this, folks? What do you call people? You look at them and see what they do and you label them by what they do. But you don't have full perspective. You don't know everything about it. But you made a judgment call. I see what they did. I call it the way I see it. That's the way it is, and I'm going to call them that. But when you do that, you label them. You need to be very, very careful what you call things. Because you might be bearing false witnesses to someone. Now, Proverbs tells us that God hates a false witness. They speak lies. Now, I don't think anybody would hear raise their hand and say, I'm a false witness. If I went to court and I put my hand on the Bible and I said, tell the truth, the whole truth, not but the truth, I'll be sure that I just speak truthful in the courtroom. So I am not a false witness. But I want you to know, now listen to this. This is really, really important. But you're more of a false witness than you think. Because every time you mention somebody's name in conversation, and you attribute something to them. You label them a certain way. You have borne witness. You have labeled them. And are you sure that's what they are? I, I think we're going to stand the judgment. Thankfully, our sins are forgiven through Christ. But we are going to be amazed how many times we've made false statements about people and we thought we were very justified because I see he drinks and he, he's a glutton and he's a wine-bibber. And it wasn't at all. Be careful how you judge people. Be careful how you label people. Well, he's just a bully. Now that person's selfish. 
You know, he's lazy. She's lazy. How often do we do that? Now we've called them. We've identified. We've put a perception in someone else's head. Now when they think of that person, they immediately think what you labeled them. You may have put a false expectation on them. And here's the thing. Once you, once you name something, then that becomes a perception. In fact, I put it in your notes. Negative naming locks expectations and imprisons the person. It locks the expectation around someone. Because I perceive them that way. Because I perceive them that way, I think that's the way that it is. But it's not. You can be wrong. And even if what you see is right, why don't you name it with an H? Why don't you put God into it? Why don't you realize, you know, see, if you name them, that person's a liar. When what you basically said, the, the core essence of who they are, they're a liar. Is that true? Or is this someone that may have told a lie? There's a difference between acknowledging that someone was untruthful and labeling them a liar. Because once you label them, and you label them to someone else, now they, the other person interprets everything they do in light of their perception. I'm suspicious because someone's called them this, so now I interpret what they do in light of my suspicions. And we lock people in. We, where God wants to change them, God wants to transform them. He's got a plan and purpose for them. But now you've labeled them. You have taken on Satan's identity. You've accused a brother or a sister of something. You are naming them. You're putting the mark of the beast upon them, if you could put it that way, and not seeing what God has to do in them. Rather than giving them a reputation to live up to, now you have locked them into a position. Now you can do that with your spouse. Well, that's just the way they are. Because I've seen something, I've evaluated something, I'm, and now I'm going to call it like that, and not realizing you've just cemented the position, you've just frozen them into that position. We need to speak new names to people. We need to say, yeah, he's Simon, but you know, he's Peter. And I'm going to call forth Peter over him. It's so, you know, this point is so important because Satan wants to identify you by your greatest sin. He wants you to be defined by your weakness, by your failure. But God, thankfully, doesn't define us that way. Someone after the first service came to me and said, and I never, I'd heard it, but I didn't think about it, but it really fits here. It says, Satan knows your name, but calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but calls you by your name. Folks, that's what we need to do. That's how, we need to see people as God sees them. We need to have hope for people. We need to speak life into people. And, and not cement them into their position. You, you, can, you can name your marriage. Ah, oh, I got a terrible marriage. Because... He or she is so selfish. So I've labeled it. Now I have no expectation. No hope. 
I've labeled it according to what the devil has tried to do. Just You put an Ichabod on that. Shake it off and say, no, no, no. God can change that person. That's not God's design and purpose for him. So I'm going to call forth the thing I don't see as if it's there. And I'm going to name this person after what God has. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians that we're to um, think no, uh, rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It says in Philippians 4, 8, whatever things of good report, if there's anything of virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. But we don't do that. We say, I'm going to look at something, I'm going to evaluate it, and I'm going to call it the way I see it. And we feel so justified in it. We haven't thought the best, hoped the best. We haven't seen if there's anything praiseworthy. We've labeled it in a negative way. Oh, God, help us. I, I just, Lord, help us, help us, help us to see this. The naming rights are so valuable. If it's 800 million in the natural, just think what it is in the spiritual. Naming rights. Taking dominion over situations. Seeing what God's plan and destiny is. Uh, destiny and, and calling it forth. All right. And here's the last point. Be careful what you name circumstances. So be careful what you call yourself. Be careful what you call others. And be careful how you name circumstances. You know, sometimes we say, boy, I went through a beast of a time there. That was a beast of a time. Well, you have the right to name that beast, just as Adam had the right to name it. It can be the most terrible time of your life, or it can be, you can see what God was doing through that time. Think about Joseph. Had dreams. But then he's sold by his brothers to Egypt. And then he's in Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife lies about him, and he goes into the dungeon. Now he's in, in the dungeon. All these things are bad, 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 bad. But you know what? Even though it doesn't say it explicitly, somehow Joseph didn't perceive it that way because he always kept a servant's heart. He never got embittered by it all. He could at the end say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He saw what God meant in every one of those situations. Even though the devil meant it for evil, God meant it for good. He maintained himself. Now we look at the situation and we realize, well, of course he had to be sold into Egypt. He never would have fulfilled his destiny. Well, of course he had to go to the dungeon or he'd never have met the butler. He had never come before Pharaoh. All those bad things, God was working them for good, but he could have named anything along the way and got stuck. So how do you name the things you've been through? Are you naming them after what God's purpose and plan is through that thing? What he intended through it. Seeing whatever the, the circumstance that God had. Now, here, here's your take in I put in your notes. God is more concerned about how you respond to a situation than the situation itself. We're concerned, so concerned that the situation changed. Oh, God, don't let this happen. Oh, God, change that. Oh, God, do move this. And, and then the prayer doesn't get answered. It's like Joseph could say, oh, Lord, why did I ever get sold? Let me go back home. Let me go home. God was more concerned about how we respond to what we go through than what we go through. 
And so you need to stop and say, what am I going to name this? So how do you name it? What's God's plan and purpose through this? What's he trying to accomplish? I see what Satan did, but what, what does he mean out of this? And that's what I'm going to call it. And I'm going to call forth his will in every bad situation. Otherwise, you'll get bitter. You'll complain. You'll get cynical. You'll lose faith. You'll question God. It's only because you, you named it wrong. You labeled it wrong. Do you feel the Lord in this place right now? Do you feel the Lord speaking to your heart? Is he saying to you, you've mislabeled things and that's part of your problem? It's not me. It's not the circumstance. You've just labeled it wrong. You've called it wrong. You put the wrong name on it. You're calling it Ichabod. God help us. Lord help me. This is a powerful truth. Naming rights are so so important. Let me close with this. Name circumstances the way God names them. Now, if, if you are familiar with the compound names of the Lord, different times through the Old Testament, God reveals himself. And one of them is Je Jehovah Sidkenu, which means the Lord is our righteousness. In other words, when Israel was going through a very difficult time where they had failed, where they were not good enough, where they had sinned. In the midst of this, God speaks and says, I'm Jehovah Sidkenu. I am the Lord, your righteousness. And when they had a need and they, did, couldn't, they didn't have something that they really needed, the Lord said, I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm the Lord who will provide. And then when they were going through sickness and illness, he says, I am Jehovah Rophi, the Lord who heals you. And when they were anxious and afraid, he said, I am Jehovah Shalom. I am the Lord, your peace. Do you see when they were going through a difficult situation, God revealed himself right in the situation and said, you know, I'm your healer, I'm your provider. They would never have known that aspect of God if they hadn't gone through the circumstances. And God takes the difficult, negative circumstance, and he says, I'm right there, I'm Jehovah, right here in the midst of this, and I will meet your need. This is our hope. This is our joy. We're no longer our own. We belong to the Lord. He has lordship over me, so he can name the things I go through. I need to name them what God names them, and not name them what Satan names them. Can we stand together this morning? So if I lose a job, lose a loved one, I'm not going to let it define me. I'm going to look to God in the midst of it. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And the beautiful verses from Habakkuk 3.17. Though the fig tree does not blossom, nor be fruit on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields they yield no food. Though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, 
I mean, that's bad times. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I will see what God is doing in this. So let, let me pray for us today. This is a life-changing message. This, this really will change your life. If you will start naming things the way God names them, you're going to see a change. You're going to see life flow into you. You're going to see God breathe upon you. There's going to be a come into your life. And the things that you don't see, you're going to see come about because you've named it right. So maybe we just put your hand on your heart. Let, us, let me pray for us. Lord, we want to see as you see. We want to see through your eyes. Lord, we repent of labeling things according to Satan's working. And Lord, right now we determine that we are going to name things that you name them. And Lord, we're going to see ourselves differently. We're going to see other people differently. We're going to see the circumstances we go through differently, that we can praise you in all things. Strengthen this people. May we come out of here with a new awareness of who we are. May we change our world, Lord, because we're naming things properly. I pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's thank the Lord.